Go ahead and take your Bible with me this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This is going to be our last week in the epistle of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to read all 24 verses. I think the kids made their way downstairs, but if there are any left, kids ages K through 3rd can, can head downstairs now. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Let me read this for us. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collection when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredited by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now, just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have been or they have made for your absence. They have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greeting. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you in Christ Jesus. Amen. We're going to bite off all of this chapter this morning. When we get to the end of a letter like this, oftentimes I think we begin to think a little bit about just some miscellaneous thoughts. It seems like Paul is kind of wrapping up what he's been saying to the Corinthians throughout this this letter. But I think Paul is doing something very specific here. And while there are some ideas and concepts that maybe don't seem immediately interrelated, they are, in fact, related. 
the thrust of the whole, the whole book, the whole letter, is that these people in Corinth should be loving one another, and they should be doing it well, and they should be doing it joyfully. They should not be only considering themselves, but they should be considering each other. Verse 58 in chapter 15, which we talked about last week, there's kind of our, our takeaway, Paul's takeaway from this big long section on the resurrection from the dead where he unpacks the doctrine of the resurrection. Verse 58 is his takeaway. He says, because you're going to be raised with Christ, because you're going to be with him, because you're going to be made new, therefore... My beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He tells them to abound in the work of the Lord. And so when we get to chapter 16 and he begins talking about some of these miscellaneous thoughts, he's going to take up this collection and I'm going to travel here. Consider Timothy and Apollos. And then verses 13 and 14, really impactful. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. He's telling the Corinthians very specifically how they can abound in the work of the Lord. How is it that they can go about abounding in the work of the Lord? And Paul's answer, his answer always, again, I think it can be seen right there in verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. And there are time in 1 Corinthians, we've seen this as a struggle. They drifted towards self-centeredness. They drifted towards self-indulgence. This was their natural bent. They went this way. 1 Corinthians is largely a corrective. We've seen that throughout our time. 26 weeks in this, in this letter. 26 weeks, and we've seen Paul correcting over and over and over again in this letter. Wrong thinking, divisiveness, a misunderstanding of sex and sexuality, a misunderstanding of what it means to be loving. And this love that flowed so freely from God, sending his son to die in our place for the forgiveness of our sins, this is the recalibration that Paul gives to the Corinthians the recalibration that they need back into, back into love. This is a God, a reflection of a God who pours out so much and lavishes so much upon us. Last week I mentioned we were, we were my dad and I were taking my boys to Teddy Roosevelt National Park to go camping. We did that on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And as we were between hikes, I was thinking about this text, this 1 Corinthians 16 text, I was between hikes, we were just resting. It was clear to me just how vast that place is. Even though like on a map, it doesn't, it's not that big, but when you get out there and you're just walking, it's, it's big. It's open and it's ongoing. And there's millions upon millions of blades of grass and all kinds of wildlife from the biggest of bison to the smallest of insects. And despite the vastness of that, it's only just a fraction, a really small portion of our planet, a really small piece of the universe in which we live. And it became very clear to me in that time that God cares 
about every bug and every bison down to the smallest miserable parts and beyond. And, it, and it's God that sees every moment and cares deeply because it's his creation. He made it. He called it good. And though sin corrupted, it still remains a shadow of goodness because it has his fingerprints on it. And so as we're thinking about chapter 16, what does this have to do with chapter 16? My mind kept going back to the fact, do I believe this? Do I believe that God cares about every blade of grass? about every bird, about every bison, about every bug. There's not an atom or a dolphin or a carrot or a cell or a star or a black hole or a hair on your head that isn't under God's care. And when, when, God, when a God that is capable of all of that and much, much more cares so deeply about you that he emptied the storehouse of heaven for you, crushed his son for you, made you the object of his affection by joining you with Jesus Christ. God cares more deeply than you could ever care about anything. God cares deeply about every bison and insect, but how much more does he care for you? We read in that Matthew chapter 6 passage that Blaze read a few minutes ago. You are his image bearer. And so when we get to chapter 16, this love that Paul has unpacked and prompted the Corinthians to be living into, this love that we see so clearly in the person of Jesus Christ, it should bring about something in us. God cares about us in our being and who we are and what we do. But he also cares about the, the things that happen in our midst how we interact with one another, and really genuinely how we love each other. What should these realities incite in us? Again, the reality of the resurrection from the dead that's coming if we're in Christ. For those of us who are in Christ, everything that is written in chapter 15 is for us. Everything that we saw, all 10 of those points that we unpacked last week, that's all for us. And so we ask, what does that incite in us? What does it bring about in us? We, we as people recognize that what we've been made, the identity that we've been given in Christ Jesus now has an outworking. It means that there is something that must come as a result of it. And so we see it here in chapter 16. These are practical ways that the love of God for his creation, the love that he has so richly lavished on us, what does it mean for us? It should bring about love, but what does that look like? What does is, what is a church that loves well look like? And so I want to give you that 30,000 foot picture so that you don't just view these as miscellaneous thoughts at the end of a letter. Because these are important. These are ways in which we can use the things that God has given us to love well. So, three things we'll consider then. Three things that we see here in chapter 16. 
They're practical reflections of God's love through giving freely and through celebrating God's goodness in in our midst. So, let's start. First, look at the first four verses with me. Chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Paul introduces the idea of taking a collection here. The idea, the thought is, love looks like giving sacrificially of financial resources. Love looks like giving sacrificially of financial resources as individuals and as a local church. Taking up a collection, this is the idea. How does a church abound in the work of the Lord that Paul talks about in verse 58? Takes up a collection. It's generous with the financial resources that it's been given as individuals and the local church. This is not just for the Corinthians, but this is for all churches. Paul instructs the church in Galatia to do the same. And we see also in 2 Corinthians, he also has instructed the church in Macedonia to do similarly. And Paul brings this up at the end of the book of Romans as well. Consistent, faithful generosity with financial resources is a way that we can actively do everything in love, like Paul says in verse 14. So the collection for the saints that Paul is writing about refers to the poor members of the church in Jerusalem. Paul made this a point for himself. Paul made this uh, something that he brings up regularly with the churches to whom he writes. In Romans 15.26, Paul writes, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Corinth is in Achaia. So what does it look like for you and me to love well with financial resources? Paul gives us three things. Three things that we can see here in these four verses. First, firstly, Paul commands consistency in giving. He commands consistency in giving. Verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. On the first day of every week. That's Sunday. That's when the church would have gotten together for primary congregational worship like we do. Note that Paul says every week, not once in a while or as your budget allows, but he says every every week. Now, in the ancient world, getting paid looks different than it does here. If you were a laborer, you got paid at the end of the day, not bi-weekly or bi-monthly or at the end of the month like most of us do. So paychecks, that it didn't come in that way. Paul is saying, not saying, this, should, this shouldn't be taken that you need to write a check and drop it at a church every week, but that you should have a plan for being consistent with your giving. That's what we should take away from this. You should have a plan for being consistent with your giving. The Bible is clear that everything we have is God's, and what we have is given to us by God, and so we are stewards of it. We use possession language with our money. We say our money or my money. But, but God is clear in Scripture that we are stewards of his resources first. The mark of a bad steward is to think that it belongs to him or her. So we should give 
back that which has been given to us with consistency, Paul says. On the first day of every week, each of you. He doesn't say some, he says each of you. So he commands consistency. To do this inconsistently is to fail to acknowledge the financial resources we've been giving are ultimately God's and not ours. And that we are just a simple steward. The second thing here that we see in that second half of verse 2, as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul commands proportionate giving. He commands that giving is proportionate as he may prosper in accordance with how much money you make. This statement recognizes that we don't all make the same amount of money. We don't all make the same amount of money. That was not true for the church in Corinth. It's not true of Buffalo City Church in Jamestown, North Dakota in 2019. We don't all make the same amount of money. And so Paul commands proportionate giving. That's why the Old Testament terminology is tithe, which is loosely translated tenth. And the New Testament doesn't give a percentage that we should give, but it commands sacrifice in all areas of life, including financial resources. This may be the most practical in our world picture of sacrifice is with our financial resources. So, Paul commands consistency in giving and he commands proportionate giving. The third thing that we see here is that Paul commands that the church have integrity with financial gifts. This is one that often gets left out, especially when churches need to boost their budget. But Paul commands that the church have integrity with the way that they handle the financial resources that are given. Paul writes that he will send men who the church appoints to deliver the gifts to the church in Jerusalem. Look at verse 3. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Paul even suggests that he traveled to Jerusalem with a collection if no one is found to be trusted with the task. Paul is willing to make the trek from Corinth to Jerusalem to deliver the collection in order to maintain integrity. Integrity is doing the thing that you say that you're going to do. And so Paul says, I'm going to, I'm going to ensure that integrity that you, the Corinthians, have integrity when it comes to this collection. And so integrity and transparency with financial resources is important to the local church, is important for the, lack of the, the local church. And a lack of integrity and transparency can really hurt a church's witness. You know this to be true. You know this to be true. Because most of us have experienced this in the local church. How can we as a church hoard resources and be stingy when God we serve spared no expense in sending his son the treasure of heaven? This is how the gospel applies to this. This is why this is not an important. This is not why this is spiritual. This is not why this is just an organizational matter. The way that we handle our financial resources as a church reflects what we believe about who God is and how he handles the things that are in his possession, which is everything. But God, again, he empties the storehouse of heaven 
There's nothing left. He's poured it all out on his people in an act of ultimate generosity, sending his son to die to redeem a people. According to his promises, he acts with integrity, with faithfulness. So, again, the question, how can we hoard resources and be stingy when God we serve spared no expenses in sending his son the treasure of heaven? When churches get caught in financial scandal, embezzling resources, general mismanagement, trust is quickly lost. And outsiders take note. And it may even feel like their objections to not engaging in the local church are, are, are warranted. The church just wants my money, people say. To do dumb, self-serving things. Because of this, the church's receipts and spending should be visible. Again, integrity with financial resources. The finances should be handled by men and women who have track records of good financial practices in their personal and professional life, if at all possible. The church should have a budget, and the members of the church should be aware of how the financial resources are handled. Paul says that was absolutely necessary, that the collection for the poor in Jerusalem would be handled properly. What does that mean for us as a church? It means that we have to view our financial resources as a gospel issue, as a spiritual issue, not just a business one. Our members are updated regularly about the financial position of the church. Anyone can view our annual budget. It's on the website, quarterly updates. Our budget is designed to reflect our desire to make disciples who make disciples. That's our mission. And to see churches planted in North Dakota and across the globe. So, the church must have integrity when it comes to financial resources. Individuals, the onus that falls on us as individuals in the local church that make up the members of the local church, the onus is to be consistent and to be proportionate with our our giving. This is the practical way, a practical way, that we can show love, that we can abound in good works through our generosity, through giving according to what has been given to us and managing it all well as a church. So that's the first thing that we see in this text, in chapter 16 this morning. Love looks like giving sacrificially of financial resources. The second thing is that love looks like giving encouragement through being led by spiritual leadership in the church. <laughs> when I determined a call to pastoral ministry... It was like 19 or 20, 21. I just gave you a pretty big range. Somewhere in there. A lot of conversations that went like this. What are you doing once you graduate college? Um, I was an English major. And so that was obviously at the forefront of everyone's minds because what do English majors do? So I would respond, well, I'm going to go to seminary. And usually what would come next is to, to be a priest. Well, not exactly. 
our understanding of spiritual leadership in the local church is sort of this amalgam of a bunch of different understandings of different religions. I'm not a priest. Why not? A priest is an intercessory role or a mediation between God and man. The priesthood that we see in the Old Testament is no longer in effect. It's no longer necessary because Jesus now is the great high priest who is making intercession before God the Father on our behalf. And all believers, Scripture considers all believers now to be a priesthood because we don't need someone here on earth to make intercession before God on our behalf. The one who is making intercession is seated at the right hand of the Father. There's a lot of theology behind that statement, but here's the point that I want to make this morning. Paul was not making priestly intercessions for the Corinthians. Neither was Timothy nor Apollos. That's not the structure of the local church in the New Testament. That's not the way that the New Testament paints a picture for us. Paul and Timothy, who he names in verse 10, and Apollos, who he names in verse 12, these were not priests, but shepherds and pastors. Same word, used interchangeably in the New Testament. They long to lead the Corinthians to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. They longed for the Corinthians to be disciples of Jesus, to follow Jesus. They longed to do intentional spiritual good to the Corinthians, which is why Paul is motivated to write this letter in the first place, to do intentional spiritual good to the Corinthians. If Paul didn't care about the spiritual growth and maturation of the Corinthians, he would have never bothered to sit down and put pen to paper. Look at verse 6. Paul says, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. Read that verse and I'm struck by the word help. So that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. It's not a priestly role. This is a shepherding role. So that you may help me on my journey. Can can the Corinthians help Paul? Hold up. Like, these people are messed up. We've seen that over and over again in this letter. These people have some significant problems that they need to work through. Paul is saying, Paul says it, that you may help me. Does that seem like something they're capable of based on the issues that we've seen? My first inclination is no. Like, what are you asking for help from these people from Paul? And in one sense, yeah, they could give Paul a place to stay on his journey. They could feed him. But I think what Paul is saying here is something deeper. I think Paul desires for the Corinthians to encourage him. I think he desires for the Corinthians to encourage him as a spiritual leader, as a pastor, as a shepherd. What does that mean? Does that mean observing Pastoral Appreciation Month? I don't think so. I think it's much more than that. I think it's much more than that. I think it means acknowledging 
his spiritual leadership, Paul's spiritual leadership, and giving him the opportunity to lead them spiritually. Let's take this letter and just be like, blah, whatever. Thanks, Paul, for your concern. I'm going to peace out. I'll be over here. I'm going to do what I want to do. I think Paul says, help me on my journey. Because Paul recognizes that he hasn't arrived. Maybe the most influential individual in the life of the church, apart from Jesus Christ, is the Apostle Paul. And he is telling these messed up people that he needs their help. Because he needs to be encouraged as a spiritual leader. Just a personal application. I'm, I'm so grateful for all of you. Look at, look at verse 11. When Paul talks about Timothy, he says, so let no one despise him. He doesn't want the Corinthians to despise Timothy. Why might they have despised him? Paul writes a letter to Timothy. Actually, two that we have in the New Testament. In the first one, in chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Why might the Corinthians have despised Timothy? Well, maybe because of what Paul writes here. Let no one despise you for your youth. Timothy would have been younger in 1 Corinthians than he was in 1 Timothy. But I'm grateful for you because you haven't despised me because of my youth. (laughs) I'm in my mid-30s, and I've been able to realize this calling on my life in ways that guys 10, 15 years older than me haven't. I'm grateful to God for all of you. Encouraging spiritual leader means allowing them to lead you spiritually. Gosh, that's such a circular statement, but it's so, 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 so much of a reality. Encouraging a spiritual leader means allowing them to lead you spiritually. This is a challenge for some of us because most of us are pretty apathetic when it comes to spiritual things in a lot of areas of our lives. We don't even know what it means to be led spiritually. Comfortable talking about the weather. We're comfortable talking about the baseball game. That's okay, but we need to be stretched as people. Are you hurting this morning? And, and no doubt, there's something going on in your world that is hurtful. Have you wondered in the last six months what your purpose in life is? Are you wondering how to make a big life decision this morning? This is where the leadership of the local church comes in. I, elder candidates here at Buffalo City Church, we don't exist to resolve those questions for you. But we do exist to lead you to the one who knows all things and can offer you resolution. This is the role of spiritual leadership. This is the role of shepherds and teachers and pastors in the local church. Not to fix it for you, but to take you to the one who can offer you resolution. As a pastor, one of the things that I see as an encouragement in 1 Corinthians is the willingness of the Corinthians to ask Paul questions. The willingness of the Corinthians to ask Paul questions. Despite how boneheaded they seem at some turns in this letter, 
they still have the humility to ask Paul questions. I think that's a really practical way that we can encourage those who are leading us spiritually in our lives. Giving opportunities to actually lead spiritually. Active participation in the body. Not simply warming a pew on Sunday morning or popping in when it's convenient. My, my heart as a pastor feels super anxious when I look out and I see you 50, 60, 70% of the time. I feel super anxious. Where are you? Do you know Jesus? Are you walking with him? If yes, how do you know? I'm not saying that again, I can answer that question for you. But I want to lead you to the one who can offer you resolution. One final thought here in this point. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I've said this before a couple of times more recently. I think it's something that's incredibly important for the local church to consider. That's the idea of membership. Membership is an important way to encourage your spiritual leaders. Becoming a member of the local church says, I want to be accountable spiritually to those who are called to lead spiritually. Friends, I, I will give an account for every word that I say this morning. And every time you sit in a pew on a Sunday morning and hear something, I will give an account for every one of those things. The Bible warns against being a teacher because we'll be judged more harshly. As a pastor, I'm hesitant to say it, but I'm going to say it. It makes it hard on me and our elder candidates when you won't make yourself spiritually available. It's hard. So I ask the question, would you please consider membership next class, June 23rd? Many of you have taken the class but haven't taken the next step, but we just ask some simple questions post-class. What is the gospel? I'll be connected in our body. We want to covenant together as the local church to be a dynamic and vibrant community of faith here in Jamestown. I'm not up here strong-arming you, but I'm asking you to consider, would you, could we covenant together as those who want to see spiritual impact happen in Jamestown, North Dakota, in our region, and even in our globe? Okay, moving on. Look at verses 10, 11, and 12 with me. Paul calls the Corinthians to value the spiritual leadership of Timothy. And Timothy no doubt knew that the Corinthians were a tough case, right? Paul has to tell them this explicitly. Let no one despise him. He's doing the work of the Lord as I am. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me for I am expecting him with the brothers. So Paul tells them, Put him at ease. Timothy would speak to the Corinthians for Paul. That's an intimidating task. That's an intimidating task. But Paul wants Timothy to be received as the Corinthians would receive Paul himself. It's Paul himself. 
This would show that the Corinthians value Timothy and Paul as spiritual leaders. And then they call again. There's this call to help Timothy, to extend encouragement to him as he makes his way back to Paul. So this is the second idea we see in chapter 16. Encouraging spiritual leaders is a way that we can grow in love together as a congregation. Giving freely of encouragement through being led by those called to lead in the local church. Third, this is our final point. Love looks like celebrating the good that God is doing and has done in others. Love looks like celebrating the good God has done and is doing through others. Look at verses 15 through 18. Paul urges the Corinthians, You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. And, because of their conversion, they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Stephanus and his household, first converts. Again, Corinth is in the province of Achaia. They're the first converts. They're the first people that Paul's aware of to come to know Jesus, saving faith in Jesus Christ in Achaia. The church in Corinth, therefore, was no doubt very familiar with Stephanus and his family. It would seem that Stephanus and others came to visit Paul in Ephesus. He says, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus in verse 17. So they come to visit Paul in Ephesus, where Paul is as he writes this letter. And Stephanus may have delivered this very letter to Paul. Paul references it in chapter 7, verse 1, the letter that the Corinthians write, and then the letter that he writes in response. He's given a report about the things going on in Corinth. So, what Paul does here is he commends Stephanus and his family for serving the church. Paul says the service of the saints. This is the local church. Paul says that the Corinthians should be subject to people who serve the church well, like Stephanus, and says that they should give recognition to such people in verse 18. He says, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. This statement in particular needs to come with a warning, and we need to take it all here, all together, with everything that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. One of the problems the church in Corinth was was facing was partiality or favoritism. We saw that when we talked about the Lord's Supper. What's happening? What's going on? When the Corinthians came together to the table for the Lord's Supper, favoritism was coming because of societal status or because of wealth. But Paul isn't calling the Corinthians to show favoritism toward the household of Stephanus, but to acknowledge them as an example in verse 14. They sacrificed and served and did everything in love, like Paul says in verse 14. Chances are, if you've spent time in the local church, you've seen someone leverage something for recognition. Maybe you yourself have done this. Maybe because of financial contributions, or maybe because of influence in society, or maybe 
you've said in your heart, I've given a lot of money to this place, or do they know the kind of power I have, or I have a degree in such and such and know a lot more on this topic or that, and therefore I should be recognized by the church. Jesus had something very specific to say about that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So, Stephanus and his family didn't practice service and self-sacrifice in order to gain recognition. And that, Paul says, is exactly why they should be recognized. Men and women who faithfully serve the church for years and years without thought of recognition are exactly the people who should be applauded, who should be celebrated in the church. Why? Because it's God's grace to the local church. It's God's grace to the local church to give these faithful men and women who give with no thought of return. If you know someone like that here this morning, thank them. We zip our lip. We have thoughts, but it seems like there's a miles and miles between our brains and our mouths sometimes. If you know someone like that in our midst this morning, thank them. Recognize them. Thank you so much for giving to this body with no thought of return. And if you're giving self-sacrificially, have no thought of return. Don't feel uncomfortable or feel silly. Celebrate the good God is doing and has done through others here at Buffalo City Church. So, as we get to the end of our time in 1 Corinthians, take note of verse 14 again, church. Take note of verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. Love prevents divisions. Love checks sin. Love surrenders rights. Love seeks to glorify God in every circumstance. Love uses spiritual gifts to build up the church. Love is the fruit of Christian maturity. Paul writes it in chapter 13, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Buffalo City Church, let's be a church that does everything in love. From the way that we handle our finances, to the way that we think about our spiritual leadership, the way that our spiritual leadership thinks about our congregation and our members. The way that we celebrate God's work in the lives of the individuals in Buffalo City Church. And the ongoing service that many give with no thought of return. Let's be a church that does everything in love, giving from what we've been given with no thought of return, growing spiritually under the direction of the spiritual leadership and celebrating the good 
God is doing through others in our midst. These are just simple, practical ways that Paul ends his letter that we can be showing and demonstrating love as a congregation. Let's do this together as a church. Let's pray.